Well, the big thing is that it was just one of those things that we all get. We all get these incredible opportunities. The problem is that many times they hit us faster than we can absorb them. If I had like read an ad or something, if I wasn't driving through that particular town, then maybe I would have had time to absorb the information and recognize that I'm getting a two for one, basically a two and a half for one. And I would have uh, jumped on it, but sometimes opportunities come at you at light speed. And by the time we process it, the opportunity is already gone. Rain Podcast. Hi, this is Nova Lorraine, and this is another episode of Unleash Your Supernova. Unleash Your Supernova is an award-nominated podcast, and it's where storytelling is at its best. Meet creatives that are changing the world by doing what they love. Listen in and grow in business and in life. Get tips, hacks, and words of wisdom to help you unleash your superpowers. And today, without any delay, we have Jaden Sage returning back, guys. And if you remember, he was on season one and we discussed the future of money. He is the author of The Future of Money and we brought him back due to popular demand. (laughs) And so for those that are tuning in for the first time, let me tell you a little bit about Jaden. Jaden Sage is a Wall Street mathematician who has been in the blockchain space since 2011. He serves as a speaker and advisor to startups, universities, and companies in the technology and new space industry. He also serves on the board of artificial intelligence think tanks. Jaden Sage is the author of the upcoming book, The Future of Money, a journey into the past, present, and future of how value creation impacts our lives. Welcome, Jaden. Hi, Nova. Thank you for having me. It's uh, very nice to be back. Absolutely. And did you miss me? Did you miss us? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. These are trying times and having conversations that not only provide some sort of a relief, but some sort of knowledge is always fantastic. Yes, yes, definitely trying times. And I'm excited to not only do our new format with you. It's going to be very different from the first show. But I'm also excited to share with our listeners that we now have a Patreon page. And so I'm asking you to go to Unleash Your Supernova on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N to support more content that will help others never give up on their dreams. So check us out on Patreon. Search either Nova Lorraine or Unleash Your Supernova to support storytelling at its best. So our new format, Jaden, starts with a story. (laughs) All right. Yes, you have the stage to share a story with our listeners. Now, it could be something that impacted you, something from childhood, something that has to do with what inspired your book or you to enter your industry. It could be a story that happened yesterday that you feel is impactful to our listeners in one way or another. So I'm going to let you decide on what story you want to tell. And then after we listen to your story, we're going to just have a little bit of chit chat. And then we're going to move into segment two of the show. So you ready? Awesome. So we'll choose a story that scarred me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sure. Do that. That sounds, I'm I'm intrigued. My ears are open. (laughs) Okay. So uh, a few, actually, this is about eight or 10 years back. 
I was driving through Georgia and you know how we're all smart. Whenever there's traffic, you tend to take roads that are like shortcuts, right? So quote unquote, I took one of those shortcuts because surely I was very smart and wanted to avoid the traffic. (laughs) I was like, I don't know where this is going, but yeah. So I decided to take the side road and I'm going on the side road. And as I'm passing by like uh, one of these farms or industrial slash farm areas, I see an old car that has a for sale sign on it. And when I glanced at it, I'm a car guy. So when I glanced at it, I was like, oh my God, that's the 1957 Chevy Bel Air, you know? So those are those are really in-demand cars and those are really like cool cars. And I like them because they have wings, you know, from back in the day, from the rocket era. So I decided to U-turn, go back over there. And I was like, wow, this car's for sale. It's probably a fortune, but hey, you never know. This is the sticks, right? So I go up to the, this was an industrial place, like a warehouse or something. I go and knock and the place looked deserted, but out popped a person. And the guy's like, yeah, it's my car. I'm like, okay, cool. He goes, yeah, I own this place too. I'm like, okay, great. I don't want to buy the place. I want to buy the car. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> like, you know, TMI on the wrong time. But, right. but I'm like, okay, great. So h- how much for the car? He goes, don't you want to see it first? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm like, oh, great. The price is going to be spiked, you know? So I, we go around the car. The car has very little rust, Nova, like completely, like it came out of a garage, right? Okay. It was red with white and I was like falling in love. I'm like, please don't be too expensive. Please don't be too expensive. So I asked him how much you want. And he's like, oh, it's going to be 7,500. I'm like, wow, okay, cool. So he goes, you want to test drive it? I'm like, wow, it runs too. He goes, yeah, it runs. It runs like it was like new or something. I'm like, okay, great. So we go for a drive and I'm like, wow, I can't believe my good fortune. And he goes, yeah, I also have another one that I can give you as a parts car. I'm like, That's really awesome. I'm pinching myself as we're driving back. (laughs) We pull up. I'm like, let me see the other one. I see the other one. And the other one is blue, blue and white. And it's complete. Like, it looks like it can go also. I'm like, does that one run? He goes, yeah, it runs too. I'm like, wow, seriously? Okay, cool. And he goes, yeah, and I've also got another one. Please take that one too if you want. It's half a car. The backside, which basically is the wings, which is very important. He's like, okay, you can have that half car as well. And I'm like, okay, that's really great. I'm like, so why are you selling all of them? Why not just one? He goes, look, I'm getting old. I don't have time or patience for this. I want to like get a boat and I want to sail in the Bahamas. I really don't care about the car or anything. I'm even selling the warehouse if you want. I'm like, okay, well, I don't want the warehouse. He's just selling everything. (laughs) Yeah, he's just like selling everything. But I'm like, okay, I'll just take the car. And I'm thinking in my head. And I was like, man, I live in New York. Where am I going to park these two and a half cars, you know? So I'm debating, debating. And I'm like, you know what? Let me think about it. And let me not, I basically told him, okay, I'll think about it. And I didn't take it. And I kind of walked away from the car. And then I realized what I had walked away from because each of these cars are valued at about $65,000 today. Wow. So Together combined, they were like, you know, $120,000 worth of cars. And the best part is I had cash mm. with me. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> so, but I'm with you. I was thinking in my head, like, how is he going to transport three cars from the middle of nowhere all the way to New York? So I was there with you on that. Like, but yeah, so you walked away from about $120,000. Well, the big thing is that it was just one of those things that we all get. We all get these incredible opportunities. The problem is that many times they hit us faster than we can absorb them. 
if I had like read an ad or something, if I wasn't driving through that particular town, then maybe I would have had time to absorb the information and recognize that I'm getting a two for one, basically a two and a half for one. And I would have uh, jumped on it. But sometimes opportunities come at you at light speed. And by the time we process it, the opportunity is already gone. But the scars are left and you can still get to kick yourself for your whole life. And unfortunately, in my case, I have a, a car culture family. So every guy in the family has like four or five of their favorite cars. And I never, ever hear the end of this. This has become like the, yeah. the ultimate <laughs> joke where I just, the worst part about this was telling my family, you know, it would have been better if I just kept this thing to myself, but I didn't. And now right. it's become this giant joke and I get to feel the pain from it. <laughs> I love cars, especially old cars, but I'm not, I can't say that I'm a car guru and I would know the pricing and all that, but I'm like, what were you thinking? Like, why would you walk away from that? And maybe because I love old cars, but I have to ask the million dollar question. How much was the offering to sell them to you? We know now that you can get about 120 grand. How much was the offering to sell them to you for? $7,500 for all uh, three cars. Because uh, mm. he was pretty much done. He's like, okay, you young whippersnapper, you can like you know, <laughs> spend some time, fix them, get underneath the hood. And you'll have yourself a great little, you know, 57 Chevy collection. And the thing is, as a kid, I always liked that car. So it was like, a, it was a gift from God. <laughs> okay, literally, God said, okay, here you go, Jaden. Here's your million dollars. And you're like, yeah, no, let me think about it. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> Come to think of it after that, I haven't really gotten uh, like five or six years after that. I didn't really get any great opportunities. So I think that was probably God really pissed off. And he's like, you know, I'm not going to give you anything anymore. <laughs> for like, <laughs> He's like, what? You walked away from that? So I'm just going to put this in context for our listeners. Today, guys, we are going to be talking about collectibles as an investment and how they relate to the future of money, of our money. And so Jaden just shared a story of an item that he actually loves collecting. He actually loves collecting. And this was one of his favorite cars and it was given to him for a fraction of what it is worth now. And so I just think that's a perfect story to lead into the topic we're going to be talking about today. I am so, so sorry. And why in the world would you share this information with your family who are car collectors? Like, why? Why would you torture yourself like that? <laughs> well, because, you know, you wanted to like tell them, oh, by the way, I thought the story would be nice that, oh, I found a collection like, oh, wow, that was really cool. But the problem is that I walked away from it, mainly due to the parking issues in New York City. And there you go. The, you know, the, the rest is in New York City. So we're <laughs> going to complain this on New York, New York City parking. If I only lived in Iowa and had myself a 10-acre parcel of land, you know, I could just like say, sure, I'll take them all. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you know, I have a story of not a collectible story, but I had an opportunity to invest in a brownstone in New York City, in Harlem. And for those of you that know anything about Harlem, a couple of decades ago, you couldn't even find a realtor's office in Harlem. And con contractors were getting buildings for like a dollar. Not the regular person off the street, but contractors were anyway. And so, but just imagine going into a community where there's no realtors selling property in that community. But anyway, there was a dentist, that, a retired dentist that wanted to sell his home. And this particular brownstone, okay, just imagine this. New York City, you have a yard, an actual backyard. You have a garage, okay? And then four stories near the train, 
this is, and with beautiful antique everything finishings in this home. And I love architecture and detail. And I didn't like quite walk away. I just couldn't afford it. I'm just going to say that. But I didn't think outside the box enough to actually reach out to people in my circle that probably could have afforded it. And maybe we would have gone in together on it. So whenever anyone mentions Brownstone or Harlem or investing in New York, I just cringe because I'm like, oh, because you can't get into those homes now for under $2 million. Yeah. The key is that we all have such stories. We all have opportunities to kick ourselves, you know, somewhere along the way we missed an opportunity or a bunch of opportunities sequentially. And that's just a very common story. We cannot get away from these opportunities that we've missed. So let me ask you a question as it relates to (laughs) obstacles. And since you've been through a missed opportunity, what is it that we should be paying attention to right now as it relates to what we can do with collectibles and what that relationship is with where things are going in the future with money? Yeah, I mean, the beauty about collectibles is is you tend to gravitate towards the ones that you have interest in. And the ones that you have interest in, you tend to develop a deep-seated knowledge about it. So for you, it's quite easy to pull the trigger. We just shared a couple of stories on how we didn't pull the trigger, but the fact is that we know enough about it to, first of all, find that opportunity. I mean, if a 57 Chevy was not ever on my radar, I would have never made the U-turn. So the thing is that these opportunities come to us because of the fact that we have that particular interest, but it's about pulling that trigger in that right moment. So the collectibles, whether they they be now or in the future, they're already your forte of expertise. It's about whether you're going to pull the trigger or you're going to stutter at the last minute and miss the opportunity. And that's a human condition. That's a, a human driver that needs to be sorted on an individual level where you can actually get to the point of make executing and not falling back. Look, I could have gotten a garage. I could have gotten a couple of garages and the cost of the garage would have been nothing, but it was that last minute hesitance. And the same for you, you could have just like made a few more phone calls and said, Hey, listen, guys, I need this money now. I'll sell you my arm for it. You know, I'll, I'll <laughs> donate some blood. Anybody need DNA? You could have made that happen, right? But it's that hesitance that like, oh my God, self-doubt. Self-doubt is what generally kills us all. But that's where it comes down to. And in today's economy, you want to be cognizant of collectibles because we are living in strange times. And that strange times is beyond just the pandemic. We were living in strange times before the pandemic, they just got a little bit stranger, you know? So yeah, just a tad bit stranger. But before that, we were still living in strange times where the value of the dollar is decreasing and uh, everything tends to be like, you know, there's a lot of inflation in the economy in a generalized sense, not specific to consumer price index sense. But so we have this opportunity as an investment class, collectibles as an investment class, where we have expertise already, but we tend not to focus on it. We tend to focus on, okay, maybe I should buy Amazon. How much research have I done? None. I'll buy it because my neighbor bought it. Because everyone's buying it. (laughs) Because everybody's buying. Herd mentality, you know, the lemming effect. We're all going to fall off a cliff together. Not that Amazon's falling off a cliff, but there have been companies that have had challenges and everybody was in on it. But so we're not doing the appropriate research before we're investing our criteria for investment 
is primarily, is everybody in on it? Or can I also share an awesome story of, look at me, I bought Tesla at $10 and today Tesla is what? So I'm like, are you really buying it as an investment or are you buying it for a brand equity, like not Tesla brand equity, but your personal equity? Like, hey, did you hear about Jaden? He made X amount of dollars on that. He's such a cool guy. Wow. So did I buy that Tesla for that or did I buy the Tesla stock for actual looking at the numbers and saying, yes, this is a good investment. Everybody hates math. Nobody's looking at the numbers. It's all about, well, my my idiot brother-in-law just bought it. So I need to buy it because otherwise I'll look bad in my family. So it's kind of like these dynamics are impacting us and we're not seeing that there's another asset class called collectibles where you do have an expertise, where you stay up late night and research stuff that you care about. So you're already an, an expert far beyond an expert at Amazon or Tesla, but we avoid this. Well, let me, let me ask you then, because I think that, and that's a good point you made about Amazon and Tesla, because when we think about investing, we're thinking about these big corporations that are in the newspapers or wherever they are, online, social media, every single day in terms of what they're doing. So that's first thing, those are the first things that come to mind. And you're mentioning collectibles. And I think that people may not see value in the things that, that they find precious to them, either as a kid or they have, like you said, I'm interested in, in 57 Chevys or so give me some examples of collectibles that people can start thinking about that may even be around their home right now. Or how can we bring it down from the Tesla down to that everyday person that may already own collectibles or may want to go out and start looking for things that could be valuable later on? Yeah. I mean, we're living in great times because collectibles basically is whatever you care for personally. So like when I was a kid traveling across the country with my parents, I used to go to souvenir shops and I'd see thimbles, all these like Mm -hmm. thimbles. And I'd be like, who cares as a little boy? Like I could care less for thimbles. Right. So I was like, what the hell is this stupidity? (laughs) Like who collects these or who cares about this? But obviously, a group of people did care about that. People collect coins. People collect anything that they assign a value. But the reason why we're living in great times is because there's a way for all of these quote-unquote weirdos to come together online and share stories and be able to trade with each other. One of the clearinghouses for that is, say, eBay or any other one of these platforms, Etsy, that where you can meet like-minded individuals and trade anything. I mean, somebody's into keychains, somebody's into whatnot. So from keychains all the way up to cars to all the way up to jets, it doesn't really matter. There's a collectible class of assets within each product humanity's ever made. Art, you know, like if you're into cars, please don't go out and buy art. (laughs) You're going to do a terrible job. And if you are an a uh, person, please don't go out and say, I think I need to find myself a 57 Chevy to buy. I mean, no, don't do it because that's not your expertise. You're caught in the same conundrum as buying Amazon when you haven't looked at the numbers and are buying it because your cousin bought it. So this is the same dynamic. Collectibles, the good news is, two good news is collectibles can be anything. And the second good news is there is a market for it and you can trade it out. So you can create a personal economy of your own. So let me, I would like you to give me examples that would surprise me. Something random, standard, um, an office supply, something, or something on the other extreme where it would go for 
however many gazillion dollars. So give me a couple examples that I could start thinking about as a, on both ends, on the lower price and then on the higher price. Well, this particular example cuts in all price categories, but stones are very valuable to people, particular type of stones, and that's jewelry deconstructed, right? If you're buying a polished stone, then it's already been hit with all of its value add. If you're buying a, an unpolished stone or if you're into like crystals or anything of that nature, they are easy to get into and they're not that expensive to get into. Whether it's that, whether it's, uh, it literally can be anything. Like I'm looking at my desk right now and I have a swing line stapler. It may sound like a bad example, but think about it. Swing line's a company that's been around since like the turn of the century, the last century. And if you have a 1910 swing line stapler, I don't know when they incorporated, but let's just say 1905. So if you have a 1910 swing line stapler, that has value. You may think you, it doesn't have value, but it has value to somebody. You put it up on eBay or something, somebody will be like, oh my God, that's what my grandfather used to use, association. See, people associate collectibles with whatever value. Like if you have, if you have a 15-year-old looking at a car like the 57 Chevy and saying, what the hell kind of stupid car is this? It looks like a tank. It's got these pointy ears on the back. It's idiotic. Mm -hmm. But for a guy like myself, the connection is, oh my God, my grandfather had one. So mm. for me, the, the assignment of value has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that it looks like a battle armor tank. It has value because it, uh, I'm thinking of another set of emotional attachments to that particular car or whatever it is, whether it's a stapler or a piece of art. So human dynamics assigns value for independent reason, not necessarily the same set of reasons that you're assigning it. And then the market determines the price point accordingly. So that is why you have to pick and choose whatever you're into. Okay. So I have another question and then we can move into the second segment of the show is what is something, because when we think about investing, we think about, again, stocks, and then we think about real estate and we think about art. Do you have an example of something that's not necessarily one of those three things that may have gone for five, 10 times more, or it's such a high price that your mouth would drop? Is there something unconventional that you can think about? Again, there's a lot of examples. I mean, just sticking with the car example, we just shared one that's like a more expensive vehicle. But right now, and I'm not saying this is for everybody, but as an example, right now you can buy a 1980s car for anywhere between seven to 10 or $12,000. Now give it another decade, those will auto appreciate in value, many, not all. The reason why is because the people who used to drive them as daily drivers got older, now have more money and want to relive their youth, the car of their youth, and will, will auto pay whatever amount of money for it. So if you're buying, whether you're buying cars or whether you're buying like crystals or whether you're buying fossils, you can actually invest in a class of assets that will grow over time. You just need to know what you're buying. But another point is that you should be looking at alternative asset classes because just by only being in the traditional ones, you're missing out on the key component called your passion and your expertise. Because by default, if you care about something, then you're going to look into it more. You have a 
detailed or in-depth knowledge about it, which you can utilize in making more intelligent decisions about it. So you want to get into things that you already have a requisite knowledge of. But in today's environment, you need to do that. If the stock market goes down, if the real estate market goes down, if, when. You want to have an asset class where you can trade it out and you're like, okay, you know what? I know this asset class and I have a market for it. Before we didn't have a liquid market. Now all these online platforms provide you an opportunity to stay liquid with that asset class, no matter what it is. Yeah, I was going to say, plus it's just a lot of fun, right? If you're investing in something that you're passionate about, knowing that it's going to appreciate just because if you have an interest in it, someone else out there may have an interest in it. And so I love dinosaurs. I've never thought about investing in fossils until you just mentioned fossils. And I was like, oh, fossils? You can invest in fossils? You could buy fossils? They're not just only available for museum display? And that would be exciting, just going out and hunting <laughs> for dinosaur fossils that I can own. And then you mentioned stones. I absolutely love stones and crystals. So I think that that's exciting and just fun. And if it means something to you, then like you said, it'll mean something to someone else. So this is a good time to transition. I'm going to turn the mic over to you and you're going to play host. (laughs) (laughs) And you're going to ask me a few questions and then we'll move into the third part of our episode where we get to take questions from our listeners and hear what they want to know as it relates to collectibles or the future of money. So you ready for the mic? Oh yeah, absolutely. I can, anytime (laughs) you can put Nova Lorraine on the hot seat is a good time. (laughs) It's not like you've been waiting for this for a while. (laughs) Exactly. Like, oh my God, this is like, this is the second opportunity. The 57 Chevy was the first, here's the second one. You don't get these too often. Let's see. Oh, wow. (laughs) Put you under a spotlight? Anytime, like <laughs> I would oh, have paid for this live. opportunity. <laughs> I don't know where you live, but still, I know how to find you. <laughs> so, Nova Lorraine, I want to understand better the fashion, and I want to understand fashion is being impacted, and I don't mm-hmm. mean by the pandemic. I mean by the geoeconomic situation that's impacting mm-hmm. many industries. Fashion is one of them. It's no longer the same party. The the revenue models have evaporated and many, many people cannot actually find jobs in this industry. It's a consolidating industry. So in a consolidating industry, if people are trying to come in or new creatives are trying to come in or designers, what would you say to them? Would you say that this is a time to come in or is it just for the best of the best of the best and the rest of the people are just going to be starving artists? Oh, no, I absolutely think it's a time to come in. I think with all the changes and the consolidations, there's so many more opportunities and it's all about your perspective. And so what we have to our advantage are all the technology and tools that allow anyone really to launch a business. May it be a a t-shirt company where you're just providing the designs and you are using a software that's actually going to connect you to a manufacturer that's going to make and ship your designs directly to the customer. And so literally, if you're an artist or an illustrator, or you have some cool concepts and love clothes, that's a way to get into the fashion industry. E-commerce and the need for e-commerce due to our current situation 
and just how we're going to continue to shop in the future is also continuing to explode. The challenge there is how are you going to stand out in the sea of all these online stores, maybe through Shopify, Wix, or whatever the platform that you're using. And so if I'm consulting with a new founder or creative, I would say to them, take a look at the ocean. And if you were walking into an ocean, would you walk into the area that has the sharks? Or would you walk into the blue area of the ocean where there's no sharks or evidence that sharks were there? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so you stop and think and touching on the point of your comment about passion with collectibles and areas of expertise, you stop and think and say, well, what do I love? What am I an expert at? What do I, maybe there's a pain point that you have been having and maybe you're the one to solve it. There is an entrepreneur that I know where once upon a time I had a showroom and and was helping young fashion brands launch into stores and get media, et cetera, et cetera. So one of these designers was a handbag designer and she had gotten a really big order from a retailer, but felt that she wasn't ready to take advantage of that. So she pulled back her operations as a handbag designer and started to really focus in on what are the needs of women who actually have bags, who love bags as much as I do. And she ended up creating a hook, like in literally inventing a hook that women can use in their homes, in their closets to hang their bags. And this one hook, she's sold a million of these hooks through various outlets. And that was her taking a step back, being creative, looking at a pain point in an area that she was an expert in, that she was passionate about. And so I think that there are a lot of opportunities that are out there. It's a matter of seeing, okay, where's the blue ocean? What is the pain point? What do I know? What do I love? And where can I zero in on? And the fact that we have all these tools and technologies available to us just makes it a much, much more exciting time to jump into fashion versus when I first jumped into it, when none of these tools existed. And so if individuals were able to do it 10, 20 years ago, there's really no reason why someone can't do it now. And I find that when you have less resources, it forces more creativity. And so it doesn't have to be you on your own. It can be you with a team of people with one other person coming together to take advantage of the opportunities that exist currently. I mean, fashion is one of the oldest industries. It's still very much a dinosaur industry as it relates to what can be done within the space. You have augmented reality, virtual reality, you have experiential concepts in Wait, terms of- If it's a dinosaur industry, then can we trade it? <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> you know, you painted a very rosy picture and like, I love like, you know, the peaches and cream version. Now let's just focus a little bit on the darker side. If you okay. had a time machine and you could go back to a point in your life where you would just instantly change whatever the dynamic was, Where would that be? I mean, I would go back to the 57 Chevy guy and be like, here's the money. He opens the door and I shove the money in his hands. You know, so like, he'd be like, who the hell are you? I'm here to give you the money. Just shut up. So like, where would you go back and what would you change? And is this a situation where I had control over or I'm just changing history because I want to change history? No, it's something that you had semi-control. We don't have control. We only have the illusion of control, but semi-control. Hmm. There are plenty. 
one that strikes out, the one that instantly, because the one that uh, comes to your mind first is the one that subconsciously has impacted you the most. Right. Nova Lorraine, quiet, quiet. <laughs> this, is, this is like a rare occurrence in the universe. I can hear the birds right now. What's going yeah, on? It, it came out of it. Well, what about that? That didn't come out of it. I would say I probably, there was a point where I had gotten burnt out from designing. And at that moment, I had opened a store. So I moved my showroom from 7th Ave and decided to go into retail. So I was running and managing a store while still designing my collection. Not to mention, I just had my fourth child and they're all under seven. (laughs) (laughs) And then I launched Rain. Like, really, Nova, what are you doing? And that was my moment of burnout. And I literally walked away from everything. And it was at a time as well where the economy took a tank. So it was a good excuse, if I'm just going to say it, it was a good excuse to kind of walk away. And I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to help launch another design company into um, Macy's from the ground up. But if I was going to change anything, I probably would have stuck to what I truly loved to do, which was just designing and producing these garments from a thought in my head with the most exquisite fabrics, where I then moved into a space of retail and where I was doing more operations than I was creating. And when you are not being fueled constantly by the thing that you love, you eventually run out of steam. Like that well can only, you know, last for so long if you're not replenishing it. And for me, I need to be creating. And because I wasn't doing what I truly loved and focused on that, I was just creating a whole bunch of things. And I liked all of those things, but each of those things I was creating was pulling a little bit more from that well. And eventually I had nothing left to put into anything. And I think that the trajectory that I was on as it related to my fashion company in its original state in its purest sense where I was creating high-end garments and selling those to select individuals and really just being in that space of like just creativity and having fun and turning art into wearable pieces. Um, That's where I would have stayed. So if I was going to go back and pivot, even though I had my reasons to do what I did and, and I had a great experience doing it and, but it definitely led to a point of burnout where I had to step back in order to move forward. Interesting. But I mean, if you like yourself now, everything that happened had to happen exactly the way it happened. You cannot change a single event. Like we all wish we had a time machine, but there's a reason why those things happen. So if you like your life now, even semi like your life now, then you got to recognize everything had to happen exactly as it happened. So there is no going back. There's no regret. Absolutely. That's why it was hard for me to answer that question because I saw all the positives from each of the negative situations that were popping up. Because, you know, we all have missed opportunities and failures if they're seen as missed opportunities and failures. But are they life lessons? Are they growth points? Are they areas where we should have pivoted? Are they experiences that we should have had in order to take advantage of a future opportunity? And so it was definitely challenging to answer that question from that perspective. But when I was in (laughs) that moment, it wasn't fun. (laughs) 
Well, it's like when they're shooting a movie, they say, take one, take two, take 5,000, right? To get that mm. shot right. And then we say, I made a mistake. I made some mistakes. Well, what is mistake? Mistake is mistake. So think of it like in the movies where they say, mm. take one, take two. It's uh. a mistake. Shoot it again. Take. Uh, shoot, yeah. shoot the ball again. It's a mistake. Just keep taking more takes and you'll be fine. Yes. Love it. Oh, I love that. I'm going to have to add that somewhere. Maybe I'll add it into my book <laughs> in the final <laughs> edits of my book. <laughs> oh, man. So let's, I'm going to take the mic back. We're going to move into the... Oh, damn. I was just getting into the swing of things. I was going to go deeper with the, with the dark side questions, but oh, well. <laughs> Yeah, I saw where you're going. I saw where you're going. That's why I took the mic back. <laughs> and that was just the start, my friend. <laughs> and we're going to go into the last segment of our show. I want to cover a few of the questions from our listeners. We did get a lot in. We'll see how many we can get through. But I'm going to start with this one. How might a collectible lose its worth? For example, everyone thought Beanie Babies were going to be huge. And this one was submitted by Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. So this is the key is in the end of that question is Beanie Babies. There is a difference between collectibles and fads. So fads come and go, but collectibles have longevity as one of their primary criteria. So everything we just mentioned as an example is not a fad. It's very important to distinguish fads from longevity-based collectibles. So collectibles, whether like, let's take some of the oldest, right? Like a, like a, a fossil, right? A Precambrian fossil, 500 million years old. Somebody's going to assign some value to that because it's been around for a while. It's rare. It's didn't mm. come out of a factory. So mm. if it didn't get popped out from a factory in China, chances are that over time, it's going to increase in value and when we discuss gemstones and crystals, again, made by Mother Nature over millions of years. So mm. it, there's a huge distinction between fads and collectibles, which are based on longevity. So if it fails the longevity criteria, don't go in because it's a fad. That's a really good point. Interesting. One of the biggest fads I remember when I was a kid was the Cabbage Patch doll. I mean, parents were fist fighting in stores. <laughs> Fist fighting. And then the Tickle Me Elmo was another one as a parent that I could relate to, which again, it got real ugly around Christmas time. <laughs> but anyway, let's move into the second question. This one is from Joe. Are there collectibles which reliably appreciate on par with real estate, equities, or the bond markets? So let's break that down. You don't want collectibles that appreciate on par with bonds and Wall Street. Why? Because when you think of Wall Street, when the novice investor thinks of Wall Street, they're thinking about, oh my God, have you seen, again, Amazon, Tesla, Wall Street, a good mutual fund manager will give you a return on his fund between 15 to 20%. Now that's considered a rock star mutual fund manager. The regular mutual fund managers just try to keep pace with the S&P 500. So if you have a rock star mutual fund manager, he's hitting 15, 20%, maybe he has a winning streak, he hits 15 to 20%. So if you're only parring that on collectibles, that's terrible, get out. No, collectibles, <laughs> think about multiples. So as an example, if you bought yourself a fossil, right? So you have 
like a shark tooth or something, a megalodon tooth. And that tooth you bought for 500 and now it's worth 2000 That's a 4X. That's a 400% return. Now, just to break that down, if it's on par with Wall Street and you're achieving 10% or 20%, wow, I'm a rock star, I achieved 20% rate of return, then you're talking about on that $400, $80. So that 400 becomes $480. Whoop-bee-doo. You didn't really gain much. So the idea in collectibles is not to achieve on par with those other asset classes because those are hands-off asset classes, especially Wall Street and bonds. So the lower your involvement, the less the return. So anything that you have to get your hands dirty in, you have to actually go there to find this collectible, possibly clean it up, store it, and you know do all the things necessary to it. So you automatically want a far larger return. And God forbid you get good at it over time, you may actually consistently hit 4x, 5x, 6x, which means you'll be in a much better place than your 15% for a few years and 5% for 20 years. Wow, that's a really good tip. That's I, I didn't think about it like that. That's pretty amazing. I hope you guys are taking notes <laughs> and sharing this with your friends and your family. That's really awesome advice. He had a second question, which is, what percentage of your asset mix should you have in collectibles? 20%. So you should, whenever you're exploring something new, the answer is 20%. It's a default answer. It's not, well, collectibles should be 20%. No, 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 20%. It shouldn't be more than that because you're just learning. You're going to make mistakes. Now, it shouldn't be less than that because then you're going to half-ass it. What you're going to do is you're going to assign limited allocation of your brain cells to it. So it's not going to get your best mental faculties, your attention, and you'll probably invest badly. You'll get something and be like, oh, yes, this is the next craze. I'm going to do great. Of course, you bought the wrong item. So you need to assign a certain amount of, think, let's break this down to say you've got $100,000 and you're going to do 20%. What? 20% is $20,000. You're going to take that very seriously because it's, it's going to be like, oh, it's either that or a car. So I better really focus on this. <laughs> you know. But if it was like, well, start with, 5% of your asset mix. Well, if you start with 5%, guess what's going to happen to you? You're only going to s- spend 5,000. Maybe it's a lot for some, maybe it's a not, not a lot for others, but 5,000 isn't going to make you want to drop everything and pay attention to that an awful lot. So it has to be, whatever you're serious about, it has to eventually grow. You don't have to start at 20%. You could uh, slowly scale it up from 5%, 10% to 20%. But it needs to be in, a, in that strike zone where you will ha- give it its attention, but it won't break the bank. So you still have 80% of your asset classes and stuff that isn't going to suffer from your lack of understanding of it, which grows over time. And that's called collectibles. Wow. That was really good, too. Well, look at you. Just a worth of <laughs> book of knowledge, which is why you obviously you're writing this book. <laughs> one more question. We have time for one more. I definitely want to get this in. Since the whole world is going digital, and this question is from Darren, since the whole world is going digital, will collectibles be tokenized via blockchain? Yeah, collectibles are already being tokenized via blockchain. Those conversations began around 2011, 12, and have already been done. There are actually companies where you can go in and say, buy a piece of art. You can, not Van Gogh, because Van Gogh is quite expensive, but like, just let's use Van Gogh as an example. You can buy a portion of it. So you buy the token that invests 
in a particular piece of art. So if that art, say, is $100 million and they issue like, you know, 100 million tokens for it, you bought $1 worth of token. So you invested in that asset class. Now that actually precedes crypto because people have been collective coming together to buy asset classes for a long time. So this isn't something new. Assigning a token to it just allows more people to come into it in an egalitarian manner, which is what blockchain is all about. But outside of that, this has been going on. People come together to buy uh, cars. And there's actually groups or companies where you can go in and buy a piece of a car. You're not going to drive it. It's just an asset class for investment purposes. Not every investments don't need to be used. The minute you start using it, you're deriving a not a quantifiable benefit from it. And when you do that, there may be depreciation attached or wear and tear attached to that asset class. So you have to be really cognizant of that. Even in your cars, yeah, you could take it for a Sunday drive, but if you start using it for your daily commute, that 57 Chevy is going to fall apart really fast. So you have to balance that out. But to go back to the question, assets have already been cut up into little pieces and you can invest in them through blockchain or you could find the, you could just Google it and you could find ways to invest in pieces of art and other asset classes that are non-traditional. Wow. Nice. That was good. Oh, I, I learned a lot. This was really, really good. I might have to bring you back again. <laughs> We're going to do this again with tea next time. I know you'll have your coffee. I'll have my tea. I had two cups of coffee and on the third one, I'll have to have three because Nova Lorraine part three, this time it's personal. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Bring three, have three before, before our show. Thank you so much, Jaden. This was a lot of fun. Um, even when you went down the dark side, went into the dark side, actually, that wasn't that dark, but it was so much fun. Not only just getting educated on so many components of how to utilize our money in different ways, but just you know, learning about collectibles and how that fits into the bigger scheme of investing and how much fun it could be. I've always, I've always thought about collecting coins. I have things here and there. There are things that I've started collecting, but nothing that I've delved into really deeply. And I could absolutely see myself getting lost in a few items of interest just because I love those things. But to know that it can be a substantial part of an investment portfolio is even more exciting. So thank you so much for joining us, sharing all your wisdom as usual. Ladies and gentlemen, Jaden Sage, the author of The Future of Money. How can our listeners continue to follow you, reach out to you, get your book? What do they need to do to uh, stay connected with you? Uh, they can always follow me on Twitter. Just find me at, at Jaden underscore Sage. And that's the easiest and quickest way. I don't tweet a lot and primarily because I'm a firm believer in tweet when necessary, not just because you must every day, but nonetheless, it's a quick, easy way to connect. So Jaden underscore Sage at Twitter. Yep. Perfect. Thank you so much. And again, listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of Unleash Your Supernova. Check us out on Patreon, support us, tell your friends, download, listen, and subscribe. Until next time, this is Nova Lorraine from Rain Magazine, and thanks again. Bye. Bye. Take care. 